Welcome to So You Want to Be a Leader, Really? A Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Helen Honeysett, and we're here to explore the highs and the lows of leadership today with our guests and help you navigate the complexity of being a leader and a manager, to be honest, because some of the topics we'll dive in today, especially around employer retention, is actually critical that you're a great manager and lead. We look at every aspect from the utterly sublime to the completely ridiculous and everything in between. This week's guest is Anne Donovan, who is a wizard of employee retention. Anne, welcome. Helen, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm thrilled to be here and I can't wait to get started. Fantastic. You can find out all about Anne on our website. So visit defyexpectations.co.uk for all of that fabulous information. So Anne, we love a good story and we love usually the magic that creates those stories as well. So how did you get so passionate about an employee retention, which for many people can just be a metric on a PowerPoint slide that they see at a board meeting or a management meeting? I've been in human resources for a very long time. And one of my first jobs in HR as I was moving along in my career was I was an employment manager for a large hotel. And as employment manager, I was responsible for recruiting, interviewing, hiring, onboarding. And I was doing that week in, week out. And it was the same thing, day in, day out. So I was thinking, why am I continually doing the same thing? I don't see much progress. And then I started to realize that it was because of employee turnover. So people were leaving and we would have to fill those spots and go through the recruiting, interviewing, hiring, and onboarding. And as I started to dive into turnover, when I started the project, we were at 46% employee turnover. And in a 200-person hotel employee population, that was probably 100 people almost per year that we were going through. So then I started to realize that it's not just the turnover numbers, which can be costly, but we're affecting these employees' lives, which can in turn affect the guest stay as well. So I started to look at why people are leaving and then started to look at how we can encourage people to stay, motivate them, better employee workforce, better work environment, things like that. And so by talking to employees, by reviewing the training and development that we were offering, by training our managers, then over the course of two years, we reduced that turnover to 30%. And we were able to work on so many more projects because I wasn't recruiting, interviewing, hiring, onboarding. Right. And that's when... So much money. We figured it was about $750,000 in turnover annually. And that's the hard and soft cost, but it was a lot. So that's how I became passionate about it. And that's how I've gotten to where I am with a focus on increasing that retention. So it's interesting. You say you've been in HR all of your life. HR is sort of one of those enabling functions that either has a very good name or a very bad name. It's a bit like 
In the UK here, we've got something called Marmite, and you either love it or hate it, and they adopt that as their advertising slogan. And HR can be a little bit the same. Some employees see the real value in it. Others can't stand it. When you talk about HR, what is it that you enjoy about human resources? What's the best bit about what you do? I think that this is a great question because, as you said, that you either love it or hate it. And in the U.S., human resources has similar reputations. It's we're either the principal's office, that, oh, no, I got a call from HR and I'm going to get fired, or we're the policy police that you're... You have your cell phone on your person and we need to make sure that you're focusing on the gas. So give me your cell phone. But HR can be so much more than all of that. I see human resources as we are there to serve the company and the employees. And a lot of times employees think, oh, you're HR, you're, you're getting paid by the company. So you're just going to be a yes person for the company. And that's not the case at all. It's most of the, HR practitioners that I know, we are in it for the best results for everybody involved. So I have taken on human resources from a people first philosophy and that if we create a great work environment for employees, then they're going to create a great environment for customers. They're going to create a great environment for the leaders and ultimately, everybody thrives and survives. So I've taken human resources to be more of, we're going to focus on personal and professional growth of employees so that then they can be more content in their job, which leads to higher morale, which leads to higher productivity. And working in corporate, a lot of times, yes, I have been boxed into the principal's office or there are times when I do have to make a decision that seemingly is in the best interest of the company. But if we lead from a people-first philosophy, then human resources can be so much more. And I see that human resources is now the driver of cultures, that we can be the change makers to create the best work environment for all and ultimately incredibly thriving organizations. So I want to come on to how you see that future in, in a bit, but I've got an additional question about that cynicism that can sit there. How do you address that? Because I've worked in cultures where it's not been there and I've worked in cultures where it is and I work with customers where it is and sometimes in great cultures where it's not. How do you address it so that actually you can shift towards that people first? Because that people first approach and culture is better for everybody. Agreed. And the old adage of shaking hands and kissing babies, I know that's dating myself and we don't say that anymore, but it really, for me to overcome that cynicism, it is getting out into the field and talking to the employees. For me, my customers are the employees. And so just as leaders are talking to their customers and the employees are talking to their customers, I want to be out in the field getting 
information from the employees, building relationships more importantly. And yes, we can do that through employee surveys. We can do it through exit interviews, which I'm not a fan of, but I really just enjoy those anecdotal data from talking to employees directly. And I've become a big fan of the stay in our view. It doesn't take very much time, but can get such insight from the employees on what their work is like, what's working, what's not. And I've seen that those companies with greater communication, more transparency, really do build those thriving cultures. And like you, I've worked in incredibly bad workplaces and I've worked in some great workplaces and it's really all about relationship building. It always does come back to the people first. We talk about that a lot, but once you really do understand what people are doing on a day-to-day basis, you can also see how you can help them from those different Mm -hmm. actions. One of those roles that human resources have been given in the last few years is this well-being. And there's been that move towards the perks of, oh, just get ice cream on Fridays or free massages on the first of every month or whatever it is. But actually the reality is, is those won't work unless you know the problems, you know the people and you know the cold face to a degree. So I think it's really interesting. So thinking Mm -hmm. about what got you into HR, why you're passionate about employee retention and helping people feel satisfied, engaged and growing in their jobs and their careers. Where do you see the field or the function of human resources going in the future? What do you think are the changes that are going to happen? Over the course of the past four years, we have seen massive change already. And that change is going to continue. So you mentioned the well-being. And there is a focus more on the employee well-being, which can come in many different forms, whether it's that ice cream on Friday or the massages on the first of the month, which can contribute, but I like that you said we need to get to the root of the problem and see what's really going to have an impact. And so focus on the employee well-being, which lends to workplace flexibility and understanding that people do have lives outside of the office. So if somebody needs to come in at 9 a.m. instead of 8 a.m. because they want to drop their children off at school, then they're still going to be productive and they'll probably be more productive because they're not worried about if their children got to school on time and how did they get there. So they're going to be more focused at work. It's letting people go to doctor's appointments. I used to have to ask my manager weeks in advance if I could take time off to go to see a doctor. And if I just had the flexibility that I could just make the appointment and go, which speaks a lot to trust and building those cultures of trust. And then another change that we're seeing is playing to people's strengths that yes, jobs do have these certain requirements, but I've seen organizations more enforced recently take employees strengths and play to those. And maybe it takes two employees to create a hodgepodge job descriptions, but rather than having one employee drudge through a piece of their work that they absolutely cannot stand, it is taking them forever, carving that out, giving it to an employee who really enjoys doing that. And then you still get the work done, but 
craft and tailor the jobs to the individuals. And then the last thing I see is everybody's talking about AI. It's here, it is improving, and it will have already has had a major impact on human resources, but it will be even more so impactful as it gets better. It will, it's reading resumes. It is taking on more of the tasks that HR can automate and allowing the HR professional to focus more on other projects that AI can't do. I always find the conversation of AI in people first functions fascinating because we talk about it in leadership as well a bit here at Defy and how it can improve some of the aspects of it. But in HR, we say people first, but we'll outsource quite a bit of this too with the technology as well. And it, it's finding those paradoxes and being comfortable with them and actually saying it's still making us better. It's making us more productive. It's allowing us to pick out some of the individuals who may be better. But give the example that you gave about going through resumes. There's a lot of nuance in resumes or CVs. Can an AI yet find that so you get the right fit, et cetera? So it's going to be really interesting to see how those people first functions and roles and leadership is absolutely a key one, HR is an absolutely key one, become enabled and more effective so we can spend more time with the people by using technology tools. Flip it a little bit to think about some of the mistakes. One of our recent podcasts, we were talking about the big management mistakes that people have done. And there's, oh my God, I can't believe I've done that moments. What are those that you've faced in your career and how did you actually overcome those and learn from them as well? Oh my gosh, Helen, I don't think we have enough time that we've all faced setbacks and we've all made mistakes. And the very first one that comes to mind is in the same job where I fell in love with employee retention, we were going through open enrollment. And in the U.S., there's a period of time when annually in which employees can make changes to their health benefits. And that's during open enrollment. And I was tasked with making an announcement about open enrollment and talking about it, giving the details to an employee-wide meeting. I'd never spoken in public before, and let alone to 350 people. And the general manager handed me the microphone, made an introduction about open enrollment. And I knew I had five things that I had to mention. I mentioned two of them because I was so nervous to have these hundreds of eyeballs staring at me. And I just dropped the mic and just ran out. I was embarrassed. I was nervous. And I learned from that to prepare. And I did take public speaking courses so that I wasn't as nervous in the future, but it really came down to the preparation. And so for meetings there on out, I would prepare, 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 and I've become a public speaker since then. So that's the very first mistake I remember making. And then since then, dozens of them, but... I always come back to just a debriefing on what happened. So what happened? Where did my mistake come in? And how can I correct it for the future? And one thing that I've found with 
overcoming my setbacks is finding a mentor and finding a sounding board to really give me honest feedback about how I did, what can I do better, and then guidance on those. And that open mindset, I think, is so important. One of the companies I used to work for, our tagline was always learning. And it's one that I've just adopted into my life because actually the moment you stop, life gets very dull and you're no longer fun to be. Oops. Exactly. But it's also interesting that HR, we call it an enabling function. And therefore, it's sort of sometimes seen in the background. I come from the sales function. We're all up front and jazz hands. But sort of HR's, in, and I can just, I can picture you on the stage being handed that mic and going, but this isn't me. <laughs> I'm in the background. <laughs> yeah. But what a testament that you then turn that into now what you do, serving people around the world, helping people get better at moving towards that people first approach. And that's what I love about what I do. Yeah. Seeing that growth, taking one person from point A through point Z and just seeing them grow. I was working with a housekeeper and she really wanted to work at the front desk. And in housekeeping, very much can be in the background. It's yeah. going into individual guest rooms, very rarely seeing guests. And then the front desk is all about the people and interacting with the guests, checking them in and solving their problems. And she was timid. She lacked the computer skills to work at the front desk. And English was a second language. But she was determined. And so helping her build that confidence, grow her language skills and her technology skills, but really seeing her go from that timidity to where she is now. And she's a director of housekeeping. So she's leading an entire department through success. And that's what I love about what I do. It's human potential. It's being able to spot it in people that fascinates me and then being a catalyst to it. And she made that happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But if someone wasn't there to say, you know, you can, she may never have achieved what she wanted to do. Okay. We have a question we ask all of our guests, and I'm sure at some point we're going to turn this into a coffee table book. But it's a little bit of us. So we're called Defy Expectations because we like to be a little bit defiant, a little bit maverick sometimes. So could you think of and share or what we say pay forward a pearl of your defiant wisdom for young people or people who are thinking about leading and you know, what would you say to them my piece of defiant wisdom to leaders that are just coming up the ranks or to anybody really is to be okay with vulnerability and be okay with humility with me, I used to hold everything inside and I found that I get the most growth and I can help others when I share my story. But to be able to share my story and talk about the mistakes I've made, getting up in front of 350 people and completely bombing it, is being okay with that vulnerability. 
Now there's a fine line. I don't want to go and share everything, but if I feel that my story can help others, then I'm going to share it with them. If I feel that when I'm developing others, that if I show humility, then I'm going to be able to help them. And that humility and vulnerability is a big piece because we can't do it alone. We do need to help others guide others, but rely on others to do what we do. And without those two pieces, then my ego gets in the way and I think I'm the best. And that's where failure definitely comes in. So be okay with vulnerability and humility. I'm people trust people. And I think the more walls we put up, the less vulnerable we're willing to be, the more robotic we become. Absolutely. Uh, I think that just stops that human connection a lot of the time. So fabulous. Thank you. Be okay with being vulnerable. It's such an important quality. It is, and it's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's scary. It's interesting because fear is a topic that I've come to love. I find it simple. Simple's not the same as easy. So it's simple to be vulnerable. It's just about being honest and open and willing to address your fears. That doesn't mean it's an easy thing to do. It's still bloody hard. Absolutely. Thank you, Anne. Thank you for sharing and being vulnerable with us today and talking about your muck ups and mic drops and all of those wonderful moments. It's now got a completely different connotation, that word, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Helen. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Fabulous. Well, if you've been as inspired as we have with our amazing guest Anne today, check back in as we'll be running these regularly and we cover every aspect of the skills, behaviors, mindsets, and capabilities that leaders need to continually develop, to evolve and thrive. Do look at our website, defyexpectations.co.uk and remember to follow us to get notified of our next episode.